Oftentimes, as Christians, we find ourselves in very trying situations. And perhaps you can sit here this morning and just look back at the previous year and and realize that there's a lot of stuff maybe that you've gone through. Maybe there's some things that you are still in the midst of going through. And these trying situations really have the ability to test the limits of Christianity. And I don't know if any of you all have ever gotten there, but I've been there many times. And so this morning, I want to look at the way that hell or Satan or whatever, you can put, pretty much put any kind of evil name on it that you want. But do you realize that Satan is out there 24-7 trying to overthrow God's people? He's, he's working 24-7 on you. And he wants to destroy your life. He wants to destroy the plans of God in your life. Whenever I was growing up, I had two older brothers. Uh, One was 11 years older than me, and one was 7 years older than me. And one of the things that used to just drive me insane was, is because of the the very large size differential between myself and my brothers, is they could pretty much do with me whatever they wanted to do. So my mom and dad, every once in a while, they'd go somewhere and leave my brothers in charge of me. I've been in counseling for years over this next little statement, so hang in there with me. And what my brothers just found so much joy in doing was, is they would irritate me and irritate me and irritate me until finally I'd lose my temper and uh, I'd go at them some way or another. I couldn't hurt them because they were so much bigger than me. They'd just hold their hand on my forehead and I couldn't kick them or hit them. That's why I became a, a rock flinger. I could throw rocks and boy, I used to. But they'd get me and they would hold me down on the floor in the living room or the bedroom or somewhere and they would just pin me to the floor, hold my arms and hold my legs where I couldn't move. And I mean, I'd just get furious. The amazing thing about it is they always knew right about the time my parents going to return home and they would do this. And so by the time that I was wound up as tight as I could go, my parents would walk in the front door and my brothers would go, he's been like this all day, mom. I don't know why he's been acting so terrible. My mom would spank me over this. Again, I've had counseling and I'm getting over it slowly. I hated to be restrained like that from a power that was so big I couldn't do anything about it. Some of you husbands know what I'm talking about because you're I'm just joking. The title of this message this morning is The Devil is Not in Control of Your Destiny. The devil is not in control of your destiny. And I really believe we need to hear this as we close this year, 2019, and look forward to the year that's coming because I believe this. I believe God is going to do something amazing in all of our lives if we will understand that the devil does not control our destiny, but that there is a God who sets on a throne in heaven that is ruler over everything, and he's the one that controls our destiny. I really believe there are some times that the enemy comes against us, and it's exactly as I described the struggle between myself and my older brothers, whenever they would literally sit on me and hold me down, and it seemed as though I couldn't do anything. But the thing that happened was this. 
I continued to grow. I continued to get stronger. And now I can whip them both because they're old. Yep. So I've thought about the next time my brothers and I get together, if I just throw them down and sit on them, I just, you know, stick something up their nose or do something. Okay, that's personal. I shouldn't have shared that. But a couple of true stories. These are just little one-liners, if you would, from people that are out there that are struggling. One guy writes, he said he had a, a terrible past few weeks. He said, my car broke down and it'll cost me $1,800 to fix it. Sound familiar to anybody in here? Here's somebody that uh, 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 says, I enrolled in graduate school. I have no scholarship. I'm totally overwhelmed. Since his car had broke down, cost $1,800 to fix it, he decides he's going to ride his bike to school. But the chain jumped off, it began to pour down rain, and it soaked me. He writes, my dad doesn't work. He just stays at home and plays solitary. So my family is in constant need of money. The story goes on. He says, I work at a fast food place that decided not to schedule me this week. So I worked on my own. I did $250 worth of work for a lady that never has paid me. I went to mail a package today at the FedEx store, but it was shut down due to massive storms. And all of this is driving me crazy. And I just play the smallest violin in the world. I'm just joking. I don't really do that. Folks, there's people out there and there's people probably in here that have had a myriad of different things that gone wrong this year. Things that it seems like have been pressing down on him. As this guy says, this stuff is driving me crazy. There's things that can happen that are beyond these problems that this guy seems to have. You could lose your job. Uh, maybe uh, you get behind on your bills. Your home is foreclosed on. Uh, you could lose a spouse. You could lose a child. There's all different kinds of things that can happen. You you got a husband or a, or a spouse perhaps that, that, that doesn't follow the Lord but is always in the bars, always drinking. Maybe you go to the doctor and the doctor has bad news and says, Hey, you've got cancer. Perhaps you're in the midst of a divorce. Maybe you're lonely. Maybe you're depressed. Maybe your child has gotten into all kinds of trouble. There's all different kinds of things that every day come at us. And it seems as though these things can just pile up and pile up on top of us whenever it seems to be just like whenever my brothers used to control me completely. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't move. That's the way it seems like sometimes whenever all hell seems to be against you. A lot of times in that moment, whenever you are there on the floor and all of these things are stacked on top of you and you can't move, it can feel like God has quit helping you. I know I probably shouldn't say that, but sometimes that's the way it feels. God's quit helping and it seems like that the devil has taken over and he's trying his best to wipe you out. Let me just say, the devil is not in control of your destiny. So let's look at Esther chapter 9. Esther chapter 9 
is kind of the culmination of a whole lot of events that happened prior to this. But basically what happened is there was this evil guy named Haman, and he decides that he wants to wipe all the Jews from the face of the earth, basically. And so what he does is he, he devises this scheme, and he puts a timeline to it. He says, now, we're going to do this, and this is the timeline. And this timeline is kind of decided on in an unconventional way, let's say. And he goes to the king, and he gets the king's uh, uh, stamp of approval on this by kind of using trickery. And so basically the king is saying, okay, go ahead, Haman, wipe out all of the Jews. And so all the Jews in the nation are in horrible distress because their lives are literally going to be taken from them. They're going to kill them. Um, so let's pick up reading in verse number 20. And this just kind of gives us a synopsis of what has happened. So 20, uh, chapter 9, verse number 20, it says, And Mordecai wrote these things and sent letters to all the Jews near and far who were in all the providences of the king to establish among them that they should celebrate yearly the 14th and 15th days of the month of Adar as the days of which the Jews has rest from their enemies and the month which was turned from sorrow to joy for them and from mourning to a holiday that they should make them days of feasting and joy, of sending presents to one another and gifts to the poor. So the Jews accepted the custom which had begun as Mordecai had written to them because Haman, the son of that guy, who was that, the enemy of the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to annihilate them and had cast poor, that is, the lot, to consume them and destroy them. But when Esther came before the king, he commanded by letter that this wicked plot which Haman had devised against the Jews should return on his own head and that he and his sons should be hanged on the gallows. And so most of you know this story of how this evil guy, Haman, he's going to wipe out the entire Jewish race. Got together with his family, his friends, and they cast a lot. Now, I'm going to say this, but it's kind of like a little seance. And he was literally asking for evil spiritual forces to help him pick the right time to annihilate the Jews. But instead, God made him choose the last month of the year. Meanwhile, while this plan is all being hatched, God installed a Jewish queen of great beauty to the throne, Esther. And Esther through Mordecai, her uncle, exposed, exposed this wicked, horrible plot to the king who, um, who, who literally allowed the Jewish people now to annihilate their enemies. Does that make sense? So the Jews were supposed to be annihilated, but because of Queen Esther, where she was as queen, she exposed this awful plot, and now the Jews were able to annihilate all of their enemies. Haman and his sons, they were hanged on the gallows that literally was built for Mordecai. So this is the point. Haman thought he could overthrow, overthrow the destiny of God's people. He really thought he had, it, he had it all in the bag. Man, the king put his stamp of approval on it. Man, this plan is working like a champ. This is awesome. We're going to do away with all the Jewish people in this whole nation. This is awesome. 
He thought he could overthrow the destiny of the people of God, but God literally reversed it and used this scenario to promote his people. So you see, the devil thought he was in control of the destiny, but he wasn't. And now listen to this carefully because we've got to get this because we're going to take this in to 2020. And we're not going to let the devil sit on us and hold us down anymore. you all there with us? Because we're going to grow up and we're going to be strong enough to undo anything that he can do to us because Jesus is inside of us. Amen? So the devil thought, the devil thought he was in control. He wasn't. And I will tell you this. There's many of our lives that he believes that he is in control of. He's in control of our destiny. He's going to bring about a horrible 2020. That's what he wants. He wants to ruin your 2020. He wants you to get to the end of next year and say, man, this, this, this year really stunk. I had this and that and this and that. All of these things were horrible in my life. Folks, I got to tell you, he is not in control of your 2020. You are God's property. You're not Satan's property. The Bible tells us that you're not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body and in your spirit, which are God's. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians 6. We are not our own. We've been bought with a price. God owns us. You don't belong to the devil. You belong to God. The devil has to trespass literally on God's property in order for, to, in order for him to mess with you. Does that make sense? Let me just tell you something about God. He's really jealous about what's his. He really, really is jealous about what's his. He guards what is his. He fights for what is his. Because if we're his, we ought to be saying that we're his. I really believe this. I think we need to say this several times a day. I am God's property. I belong to God. I'm his. Come on now. This is going to fit in in a little while because sometimes I believe we don't give all of ourselves to God. But I think I think it would do us good to hear it many, many times a day coming out of our mouths. I belong to God. I am God's property. I don't belong to Satan. And let me tell you something else about God. He has a plan for your life. And I know you've probably heard that thousands and thousands of times, but this is what it says in Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not harm you. Plans to give you hope and give you a future. That Hebrew word there for plans, it translates into like imaginations. In Proverbs 6, 18, it says the, the word that that word is has to do with what God would like to do for you. In other words, his intentions, it can be translated like this. I know the imaginations that I have for you. Think about that. I got to tell you, yesterday I was home and I was watching something on TV that has to do with animals. It was really good. And I looked at my wife because, I mean, it, it, this was crazy. What was going on here with just the animal kingdom? And I said, I'm going to tell you something about God. He's a genius. He's a genius. That's the understatement of the year right there, folks. Y'all with me? And this is it. This God that knows everything, that is able to do anything, that is all-powerful, he has imaginations about your future. Think about it. He dreams about 
your future. What He would like to do for you. But sometimes we allow the enemy to sit on top of us and hold us down. Come on. Whenever all the while we have the strength to push him back. God has a plan for your lives. You are God's property. In Deuteronomy 5.29 it says, Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep my commands, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. You see what's happening here? This is God having those imaginations. He said, man... If my people would just have a heart for me, if they would just fear me, if they'd just have my commands, man, it would be good for them. It would be good for their children. Are y'all there with me this morning? This is his imaginations. This is his plan. God doesn't like it whenever his plans get messed up. And I will tell you this. There are times after time after time after time where the enemy comes in and he messes up the plans God has for people with his evil schemes. I'm absolutely convinced that I have a brother-in-law that many years ago, I mean, I, I can't back this up with any other thing but a feeling, but I feel as though he was called into the ministry at a very young age, but he just didn't want to go into the ministry. And so he never did. And I'll be honest with you, he is one of the most sour, bitter people I have ever met in my life. I mean that. He's horrible. His own wife will tell you he's horrible. His kids will tell you he's horrible. And I believe it's all because he ran from that opportunity that God set in front of him. I believe God called him to full-time ministry. Are you all there with me? See, that what happened is the enemy came in and he thwarted those plans. He messed up those plans. I will tell you, though, it doesn't make any difference how far you are down the line. I believe that God can always find another way to complete them if you'll let him. So, you are God's property. God has a plan for you, and it's good. Folks, I gotta, I just, you know, I need to, I need to say this, need to get it off my chest. It's one of those things I, I actually deleted it out of this message this morning. But I'm so tired of God getting blamed for things that He has nothing to do with. I, I, as a pastor, I've had to deal with this so many times whenever somebody say, you know, God took my loved one. You know, he died prematurely. God took him. God does not take people like that. Are you all there with me? Sickness took him. A car accident took him. Are you all there with me? But God, God, does, God gets blamed for all different kinds of things. I, I have to tell you, He has a good plan for our life. Listen to what it says. It says that He has a plan not to harm us, but to give us hope, to give us a future, plans to prosper us. It doesn't sound like God's going to be in the taken business if you and I will just succumb to this plan that He has for our lives. Even if the plan that God has for your life has been messed up by the enemy coming against you time after time after time, this is what I will tell you. God is not finished with you yet. If God has to, He'll back up and develop a whole new plan for your life, taking you from where you are today and moving you forward to that future that He has for you. So you are God's property. 
He has a plan for your life. And this is what I'll tell you. If you have had a John chapter 3 experience, are y'all there? Born again. If you know that you know that you know that if right now you died, you would be in the presence of Jesus Christ. I'll say this. You are a winner and not a loser. Come on. You are of God. That's what it says in 1 John 4, 4. You are of God. It says, and you have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That's us. And folks, this is the way I figure. I figure if it is, if it is Jesus that we're with, we make the majority. Amen? I got to tell you this, sad news here. You were born a loser. <laughs> so the next time you see a baby infant, just home from the hospital, just pick them up and remind them you're a loser. Don't do it in front of their parents, though. It's really bad. I tried it one time. They kicked me out of the room. I'm joking. No, you see, in Adam, whenever you were born, you were a loser. In Adam, you were a loser because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've inherited this propensity to sin from our 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 great, 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 few more great-grandfather. Adam has passed it down to us. But understand this, but in Jesus Christ, you are a winner. See, what happened is in Adam, you're a loser, but Jesus comes along and says, man, if you want to take care of all that bad stuff right there, I'll take it on myself and I will give you my own righteousness. In fact, he says, I'll let you share in my glory. I'm telling you, whenever we get to heaven and we are sharing in the glory of Jesus Christ, there ain't anybody in this room going to feel like a loser. You're going to feel like a winner. You're a winner, not a loser. Whenever you're born again, you're born into God's image. He's created you in his likeness. He's born of his spirit. You're a child of the most high God. You're a king's kid. Royal blood literally flows through your veins. But you have to surrender your life to Jesus. You have to come to a place where you go, Lord, I believe this. I believe that, that, that I, I have a, uh, that you have a plan for my life. And I believe that, that I'm a winner and I'm not a loser. And Lord, I believe that, that, that you, uh, uh, you have claimed me and I am your property, but I believe there is so much to do with the surrendering our life to Jesus Christ. Because a lot of times what we do is we just surrender little parts of our lives. We just give him a little bit instead of all of it. Came across a story written by Reinhard Bonnke. Many of you all know who he is, uh, but it's a little story, kind of a parable, I guess. And I'll read it to you. It says, a man had a two-story house. He heard a knocking and he opened the door and found Jesus there. So he invited him in to live in the house and gave him a room on the top floor. Jesus will only take what you give him. The man was sleeping and heard a pounding on the door. He opened the door a crack and the devil barged in. He had a terrible fight trying to resist the devil in his temptations, yelling out for help all the time. And eventually he managed to throw the devil out. In the morning, he said, why didn't you help me last night? Couldn't you hear me calling for you? And Jesus says, the problem is you've got this whole big house to yourself and I've only got one room. Man, I see your point, Jesus. You can have the whole top floor and I'll keep the bottom floor. 
The man was sleeping and heard a pounding on the door. He opened the door a crack and the devil barged in. He had another terrible fight, trying to resist the devil in his temptations, yelling out for help all the time. And eventually he managed to throw the devil out. In the morning, he said, why didn't you help me last night? Couldn't you hear me calling for help? Jesus said, the problem is I have the top floor, but you still have the bottom to yourself. Man, I see what you mean. From now on, the whole house is yours. That night, the man was asleep and there was a pounding at the door. This time, Jesus went to the door, opened it wide, and stood in the doorway. The devil looked at him, bowed very low and said, I'm sorry, but I think I knocked on the wrong door. That story really has relevance, folks. I mean, it really has relevance. We've got to give God our whole lives. The very first time that I had an introduction to North Carolina, I got a call on the telephone. I was living in Denver, Colorado, and I love the West, and I love to hunt and fish in the West, and I love... The West, that's where I grew up in. And on the phone was a pastor from Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And he said, listen, I know you're looking around for a place to go. He said, "Um, uh, what do you think about coming to Winston-Salem? This is what I said to him. I said, really, pastor? I said, Winston-Salem is about the last place on earth I want to live. I said it. My wife is standing right there listening on the telephone and after I finished the conversation and hung up, she says, don't tell somebody that. Don't tell somebody it's the last place on earth you want to live. She says, because now God's going to move us to Winston-Salem. If he wasn't before, he's going to now. And I'll be very honest with you. I didn't want to go to Winston-Salem. I told a guy the day before that I was as far east as I wanted to go. That's Denver. I was as far east as I wanted to go. I, I didn't. I didn't want to go to Oklahoma. I I want to stay west. That pastor called me back. He said, "Would you fly out to Springfield, Missouri, and meet me?" He said, "I'd like to interview you. Just talk." And he didn't interview me. He just talked basically. And that night, whenever we were parting ways, we were in his hotel room, and he said. Uh, I want to pray, and this my mind is just going, I'm not moving to Winston-Salem. I'm not moving to Winston-Salem. I'm not moving to Winston-Salem. I'm not going to North Carolina. I'm not. And I remember he grabbed my hands, and we prayed in the middle of that room. And I tell you, there was a move of God that took place, and heaven came down in that room, but there was still this resistance inside of me. I didn't want to move to Winston-Salem. But I had to say, Jesus, you are Lord, and I have committed my life into your hands. So if you want me to go to Winston-Salem, I guess it should be the first place on earth I want to go. One month later, we were living in Winston-Salem. The best opportunity God ever gave me in ministry was to be a part of the great state of North Carolina. Because now I've spent 23 years here, and it's been good. 
not here, but in North Carolina. You got to give him everything. You got to give him everything. The next thing you got to do is you got to get God's word working for you. I figured something out about kids. Are y'all, can I share this with you, kids? Whenever they're young, they're not really good for anything. They just want and need all the time. I'm just being honest. Just being honest. They just, they can't make their own bed. They can't put their own shoes on. They can't fetch you something from the refrigerator. Are y'all there? But about 10 or 11, they start getting useful. And from 10 or 11 till about 15 or 16, they do really good. Man, you can get a lot of work out of them. They mow the lawn for you, man. They'll rake leaves for you. But then there's something that happens. It's a chemical balance that gets off in their brains. And pretty soon, 16, 17, they're just not worth much. i got to be honest with you. Once they graduate from high school and they're still in your house, I'm telling you, it's just not good at all. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you may have had better luck than I had. I don't know. But I find it very hard. I've got four kids, and it's really hard for me to get them to do anything for me anymore. I got one living in my house. And it's like, I know he's got eyes. You know what I'm saying? I know he sees the trash can full whenever he's standing on it, trying to push the trash down in it. Okay. So I'm just praying my grandkids will work for me. I'm being super nice to them, bought them great Christmas presents. Are you all there with me? I'm thinking, man, if I can get a good six or eight years out of each one of them, I've got like 30 years covered, and by that time I'm going to be dead. So are you all there? Sometimes we treat the Word kind of like our kids. We don't understand why things are going amiss in our lives and why things aren't getting done. It's because the Word is not working for us. And believe me, it's not the Word's fault. It's ours. This is what it says in Isaiah. It says, So shall my Word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but shall accomplish that which I please. And it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. The Word of God is the most powerful thing in the universe. And I'll tell you why. Because by the Word of God, everything in the universe came to be. The Word of God. Jesus spoke and there was nothing. And all of a sudden, bang, there was everything. Are you all there? The Word of God. In Hebrews, it says that God's Word is active. It's a force. It's a creating, animating, sustaining, propelling all things according to the will of God. God's Word is powerful. The Apostle Paul once wrote in Romans chapter 9, For who is able to resist God's will? I'm serious. Who can stand against the Word of God? That's a good point the Apostle Paul wrote there. It doesn't matter how bad hell may fight you. If God be for you, who can be against you? I mean, seriously, the deck is stacked. 
Are you all there with me? Every time we get into the ring with anything that hell throws at us, understand this. We can come out of that ring victorious because Jesus is the victor over everything. He has conquered death, hell, and the grave. He's, he is more powerful than anything that can be thrown at us. And whenever we take His Word and we begin to use His Word, make His Word work for our lives, there's no power on earth that can stand against His Word. There's no power on earth that can derail the plans of God for our lives. So what it says in Romans chapter 8, Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger of the sword? No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Folks, this is what you and I got to get a hold of. God loves us and He gives us His Word to use it against those things that, that the enemy might bring against us trying to ultimately defeat us. you got to use the Word of God. you got to get it working for you in Jesus' name. Next thing that is an excellent point this morning is this. Don't build your future around your past. Everything that you've been going through, the battles, the afflictions, the tests, all the setbacks, those strange trials that many times come against you, those abnormal hindrances that you've experienced, it's the enemy trying his best to keep you from your destiny. One of Satan's greatest fears, listen to this, one of Satan's greatest fears is tomorrow. Because see, we might get this and tomorrow everything's turned upside down for him. Y'all, are y'all there with me? See, somebody might be standing up and saying, hey, wait a minute. I'm God's property for heaven's sake. I, I belong to God. I've been bought with a price. And God has a future for my life. He's got plans for me. Hallelujah. And they're good. 2020. Praise God. Bring it on. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? Satan's going, oh my goodness. I knew this day would come. Man, you start getting the Word of God inside of you and you start speaking it over situations. You start speaking it over people. You start speaking it over your destiny. Hallelujah. I think we ought to just get up in the mornings and just, as we roll out of bed, just say this. Something good is going to happen to me today. I mean, that would be Satan's worst nightmare. Ah! Come on. But a lot of times we roll out of bed and go, <laughs> what have I got to look forward to? Misery and distress. No. Don't build your future on your past. Yeah, 2019 might have been a good year. Maybe 2000, the whole 2000s might not have been so good to you. But understand this. I believe that God has a plan. He has a purpose for your life. That you don't belong to Satan, but you are God's property. And I believe whenever you begin to take the Word of God and you begin to take control over your life, because that's the next point in my sermon, is, is taking control. Taking control. 
It seems like Satan has been controlling all the things. And I'll tell you this. It doesn't make any difference what you make your mind up for today. Satan can still come against you and hinder you. He can still come against you and hinder you. In fact, if you make up your mind, say, man, tomorrow's going to be different. You jump out of bed tomorrow morning. Well, maybe you roll out of bed. I don't know. You crawl out of bed. Maybe you get kicked out of bed. I don't know. But you just say, hey, something good is going to happen to me today. It's good. And 2020 is going to be an awesome year because God has got some amazing plans. His imagination is running wild with all the good things that he wants to bring to me. Are you all there with me this morning? If you make that decision... Satan can still hinder, but he can't stop you. Oh, man, that's a good word. He can hinder you, but he can't stop you. So let's just talk for a moment about how you and I can take control back. First thing is, you need to get right with God. That's pretty simple. If you're not living for God, if your life is out of control, you need to get right with God. The first part of that is to repent. To repent. Just come to God and say, God, for heaven's sake, man, I've blown it. I've said things. I've done things that I shouldn't have done. I'm, I'm out from underneath your covering. And God, I repent this morning. I, I, I say to you, I am, I am sorry for those things that I have done. See, folks, let me, let me just make sure we all understand this. Oftentimes, we suffer because of sin and disobedience in our lives. Did you know our flesh is actually pretty smart? You know, we always talk how bad our flesh is. But our flesh is actually pretty smart. Our flesh raised all kinds of cane the first time we took a puff off a cigarette. Think about it. I mean, I smoked my first cigarette. I thought I was going to die. I mean, I inhaled it. (gasps) That was my flesh said, no, this is stupid. Don't ever do this. First drink of alcohol that ever went down my throat. I thought it tasted like pig swill. Come on. My flesh just said, don't ever drink that again. This is crazy. Dr. Pepper is the drink of the gods. Y'all with me? But because we have determined in our hearts that we are going to walk away from the good sense that God gave our flesh, many times we suffer from sin and disobedience. My dad in his later years had a lot of health problems and he was relatively healthy all of his life, but he began to have all these health problems. And I was at the hospital one time whenever they were having to do a procedure and, and the doctor basically just told him this, said, listen, if you had not smoked for 40 something years, five packs a day, you wouldn't have any of these health problems. Come on. I'm just saying Sometimes we just got to say, God, I'm not going any further with this. This sin, this disobedience, I repent of it. For the victory that you and I need, the first thing that we need to eliminate in our lives is any problem that might break our relationship with God. Second thing is, we need full obedience. I preached a message several years ago about almost, almost. Joshua, whenever he entered into the promised land, there was uh, three cities that basically he didn't uh, touch, even though God said destroy them all. He almost got them all, but he didn't. He made a treaty, and it was a long story. But do you remember Goliath? 
He came from a city named Gath, one of the, one of the cities that jo- Joshua did not touch. And the story goes on from there, but there were three cities he didn't touch, and every one of them came back to haunt Israel later in their lives. Goliath stood on the other side of the valley, and he taunted the children of Israel until this young man named David came and killed him, Goliath from Gath. God doesn't want almost obedience. I mean, seriously, what, what is full obedience? Is it 90%? Is it 92%? He wants full obedience. See, sometimes it's not a sin that's the problem. It's just not fully obeying God. And many times when we don't fully obey Him, He will not bless us like He wants to until we do obey Him. The third thing whenever we're taking control back in our lives is we need to repent and we need to walk in obedience. But the other thing is this. We need to pray. We need to pray. We need to spend time every day praying. In James chapter 4, it says you have not because you ask not. Pretty simple equation. God said if you'll ask, he said I'll give it to you. Bible tells us that we need to seek, we need to ask, we need to knock. And sometimes I don't think we knock enough. I don't think sometimes we seek enough. Sometimes I don't think we need to ask enough. We need to be persistent. If the door's not open, we just keep knocking on that door until it gets opened. Are you all there with me? Sometimes I believe our asking and our seeking and our knocking has to do with how bad we really want it. My mother-in-law several years ago was driving in a passenger side of her and her husband's pickup. And my father-in-law was just almost completely deaf, didn't hear anything. And so he was going to let her off in the middle of a street in Carlsbad, New Mexico. And so she got out of the pickup and whenever she slammed the door, she actually slammed her fingers in the door. She starts yelping immediately for this, but my father-in-law does not hear it and starts driving down the road with my mother-in-law's hand stuck in the car. She screamed loud enough that day that my father-in-law, with all of his hearing disability, heard her. I think she got above the range that she normally screamed in. Are you all there with me? My father-in-law didn't drag her down the road, but just a few feet until he finally heard something and stops the pickup. And sure enough, she was able to get her fingers out. Folks, I'm telling you, sometimes we need to raise the level of our seeking and our asking and our knocking. It needs to become desperate like my mom, my mother-in-law's hand stuck in the door. We need to seek the Lord with an increasing intensity until we touch God and we know that God has heard us. And this is one of those things that I think is a terminology that perhaps has gone by the wayside. But nevertheless, I believe it's a good time to maybe bring it back. Old timers used to call it praying through. Basically, you got on your knees before God and you prayed until you felt like God heard you and that God's answer was on its way. Amen. It's praying through. We not only need to pray, but we also need to fast. We're calling a 21-day fast as a church, and I'm just going to tell you this. If you are struggling personally with anything that's in your life right now, 
If you've got a physical problem, if you've got a financial problem, if you've got a spiritual problem, whatever that problem may be, I believe if you'll take this 21 days and you will honor God with a fast. He said, when you fast, when you fast. In other words, this is what Christians ought to be doing. You fast in a way where you honor God. Perhaps you fast the Daniel type of fast, or maybe you uh, uh, fast uh, um, several meals a week, or maybe days a week. I don't know. Or perhaps you go on a complete fast for that 21 days. I will tell you that God will meet you during that time if you will honor Him with a fast. And many times, people coming out of fast, God breaks this off of them, whatever it is that they're fasting and praying for. I believe if you have a loved one today that you know they need Jesus Christ, I encourage you to set aside these 21 days and fast for that loved one's salvation. Believe God that that individual is going to get saved. Fasting and prayer. These are things that we do to take the control back. I'll tell you, Satan does not want this church to fast. Does not want this church to pray. He does not want this church to use the Word of God. He does not want you to repent because He wants control over your life. He wants control of your destiny. The next thing is, we need to wage spiritual warfare against the enemy. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6 talked about wrestling against principalities and power. There's principalities and power that rule above us. Demonic forces. They, they rule above your family. They've been there for perhaps generations. They know you. They know your family. I know that many of you will argue this point, but it doesn't do any good because I'm convinced. But I don't believe that alcoholism is hereditary. I believe it is spiritual. I believe many of the things that science today says is hereditary, I believe it's familiar spirits that follow your family from one generation to the next generation to the next generation. And the same sins that your fathers and grandfathers participated in, they are down the line onto the children. It's my opinion. I believe scripturally we can back that up. But nevertheless, we need to wage spiritual warfare against the enemy. We need to wrestle against these principalities that are over your family, over this ministry, over this nation in Jesus' name. Because the power of God is inside of us. The Bible tells us greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We can bind and loose. We can cast out the enemy in the name of Jesus. We can plead the blood of Christ. We can we can ask God to loose his warring angels against the enemy. Don't take it from the devil any longer. We've got to get up and fight. Whenever we look at the young people that are in this in this community that you and I live in, we got to start fighting for these young people. Because I tell you, the people who fight the most for these young people are going to get them. And there is a community out there that wants our young people to grow up smoking pot and taking drugs and 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 believing in uh, that their gender identity is something besides the way God made them. Are you all there? There is a society out there that is coming against our kids. But these principalities can be pushed back with spiritual warfare. I think sometimes we just need to get a little angry. Holy indignation. I think that's what it's called. Just get stinking mad at the devil. I am tired of you messing with my family. And I'm fixing to kick your hunk of rucus down to Georgia somewhere. Florida. Chicago. I don't know. Wherever you want to kick it. Just get upset. 
Stand and fight. Stand and fight. Don't just think because you're not causing any waves that the devil's going to leave you alone. Stand and fight. The next thing, the way that you and I take control back is to stand on the Word of God. Claim the promises of God. This is 2 Peter 1, 4. It says, Through these He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature of God. In Romans chapter 4, it says that Abraham received all the promises. He laid hold of all the promises by believing. He believed. God said, hey, Abraham, you're old. Your wife is old. Her womb has totally been barren for all these years, and now she's way past the time she can bear a child, but I'm going to send you a son, a son of promise. And Abraham said, hoo yeah, let's get that son of promise here. I believe you're going to send it. God, you said it. I'm going to send it. The Bible tells us in, 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 uh, that, that Sarah believed who said, and that's the reason they got Isaac. She believed in who it was that said what he said. God has promised better days. If you look at this last year and you go, wasn't too hot of a year. He's promised better days. That's Psalm 30, verse 5. He's promised deliverance. That's Psalm 34. He promised bodily healing. Bodily healing. That's Isaiah 53. Comfort in, so- in sorrow. That's Isaiah 43. Your physical needs to be met. That's Philippians 4.19. That's Matthew 6.25. An eternal home. That's John 14. Sufficient grace. That's 2 Corinthians 12.9. God has promised these things. He's promised these. We've got to okay, take advantage of all these blessings that He's given us. Stand on His Word. Claim it. Speak it. There's an old hymn that it was played a lot whenever I was first born again. Standing, standing, standing on the promises of God. My That's what we got to do again. We got to stand on those promises. I'm standing on the promises of God. Ed, you should have sang that instead of me. You see, I wonder how many of you if you had a safety deposit box down like at Wells Fargo and it had like, I don't know, 80 or 90 pounds of gold in it. I wonder if you just walk off and leave it. Maybe one of your rich uncles died and just willed it to you. Yeah, I don't really want it. I'm not going to take advantage of that 20 or 30 pounds of gold. I'm just going to struggle paying my bills every month. No, man, you'd be down there with your box key and a paper bag or a Walmart sack getting that 20 or 30 pounds of gold. Amen? See, a lot of times we look at the Word of God and we just, we, there's all of these great and precious promises here and we just leave them laying. We just leave them in a place where they do us absolutely no good. We've got to claim the Word of God. Claim what is yours. Jared, if you'll come this morning and help me close this. I want to close with a little story about a pastor who visited Africa. And this was his uh, story. He says, whenever I was in Africa, the power 
would fail about three times a day. One night after the lights temporarily went out, I looked out the hotel window and noticed our hotel was the only building within sight that still had lights on. I asked the management, why is the rest of the city dark and yet our hotel is lit up like a Christmas tree? How can this be? The manager said, it's very simple. The hotel is equipped with large generators. We've got power on the inside that's not determined by our circumstances on the outside. Man, what a revelation. See, whenever you accepted Jesus Christ, He came into your life. He came in. That's why greater is He that is in me than He that is in the world. So, we have a power on the inside so that the power that is on the outside does not determine our circumstances. Are y'all there? So what's happening on the outside shouldn't determine whether or not you've got light on on the inside. You know what I'm saying? Light on the inside? That's, we ought to be smiling. Man, I, t- I tell you, just go shopping wherever you shop and just walk around and see how many people have such a lemon-sucking face on them. I mean, rarely do you see anybody going through the store smiling. And I understand that. Groceries are expensive. I understand that. But nevertheless, we ought to have a light on the inside of us because Jesus is on the inside of us. God has given a generator into our soul through our relationship with Him. See, we don't have to live a life that comes out of our circumstances because my God supersedes all of those circumstances. His word overcomes those circumstances. And so this morning, there's probably undoubtedly some of us that are here that the plan of God has been messed with in your life. I'm absolutely convinced that sickness has messed with the plan of God for my life and my wife's life, no question. God never intended for her to go through the things that she's gone through with this sickness. But I believe God has a plan for her. I believe the word works. And I believe 2020 is going to be the year of healing in my family. So just get prepared. Because I believe it's going to happen. Come on. We need to take control back. If it feels like the enemy has been sitting on your chest, ruling the day, you need to take control back. You have a destiny. That has been determined by God. And this is what I will tell you. You need to claim it. You've been bought with a price. Greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. You are a winner. This morning, would you just for a moment kind of shut yourself in? Bow your head. Close your eyes. Just just 
let this moment be intensely personal to everyone that's in here. And I'm just going to ask this question. I'm going to ask, how many of you in this room would say, Pastor, 2019 hasn't been the ideal year. I believe that the enemy has messed with my destiny. I believe he's come against my family, my finances, my health, whatever it might be. But I am determined to have a better 2020 than I had 2019. If that's you in this room, I'm just going to ask you to stand where you are. Just any any place in this room where you're just saying, listen, I know the enemy has messed with the destiny of my life last year, but this year I am claiming victory.